Would you turn to Matthew chapter 6, please? We're going to be looking at a lot of passages today, but we're going to start with um, the Lord's Prayer uh, when you found it, or if you don't care to look in a, a copy of the text, you can look on the screen. Would you stand, please? And Jesus said, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I'd like to talk uh, with us a little bit about that kingdom that Jesus taught us to reference um, every time we pray, that it is that kingdom that we are living into and that we are, as his followers, instructed to partner with him in bringing to earth. But before I even uh, begin to talk about that kingdom, there are several caveats this morning since um, what I have to say um, could be perceived as controversial. Um, Some people would say every time I stand up, I say something controversial. I don't know. Um, I think I've not often felt the pressure to say something um, in behalf of uh, my Savior, Jesus Christ, more than than maybe I do this morning. There have been other moments um, that I won't reference, but haven't felt this much pressure to say the right things in quite a while. So a couple caveats. First of all, I want you to remember that I am a human being, and I'm not going to say what I'm about to say perfectly So I'm going to ask for your grace and love for me. I'm going to ask you to believe the best of my heart. And um, I'm going to ask you to believe the best because I'm your brother in Christ. And I promise you, I'll do the same for you. I also want you to know that I'm well aware that there are many different perspectives, that there are multiple layers of passionate thought about what has happened to us in the last several months as a nation and about so many things surrounding the election and our country. As in almost every other area of our life together, in this community, we are not clones. I'm not trying to mirror any of your thoughts. I'm also not trying to make my thoughts your thoughts. I'm trying to point us to our king, Jesus Christ. I'm trying to do what Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, we must do if we're to stay together. Um, I'm trying to speak the truth in love this morning about that king and about his kingdom. Please, as I share, do not assume that I have read every article, that I have seen every Facebook post, that I understand every position that is out there, Please don't assume that I have a perfect synthesis of how serious Jesus followers 
are to proceed forward in these very divisive times. Please don't assume that I'm going to say everything that needs to be said. And I want you to hear this next statement very, very clearly, please. If you want to share your thoughts with me later, I'd love to hear them. If you want to chasten me for not seeing all you see, I will likely not be very receptive. I try to be so gracious. I mean, you have no idea what people say to me after I get done preaching. I mean, I will, I will have just been like, this is what I think, and, you know, and Jesus and God and people. And, and then people come up and go, so uh, where do you want to go to lunch? I mean, it's just the most obtuse responses to, you know, uh, I want you to know that I would be glad to have a cup of coffee with you sometime if you have some things you want to share with me. But if I detect a spirit of you trying to talk me into your position or trying to chastise me for not seeing things the way you see them, I probably will pay the bill and not stay very long. Finally, um, I want you to know today, if anybody knows me, if you know me at all, you know this is the understatement of the year. I'm not trying to be political. Frankly, I'm neither a Republican or a Democrat nor a Libertarian uh, nor a Green Party person. I just don't identify in groups like that very easily. Kingdom of God, I identify with. I'm pleased that the grace of God has allowed me to be a part of the kingdom of God, but um, the other stuff, no. Um, I exercise my right to vote, as I hope many, if not all of you did, a right that has not always been available in our country to especially African Americans and women. And it's still not a right in communist countries, China, other countries, and you know that. We're very privileged to be able to cast an opinion about anything political and have it count, it seems. That right to vote is a freedom fought for and died for by many, many, many people, and I give honor to all of that sacrifice. But I promise, I, as far as I can tell in my heart, I have no political axe to grind I'm simply trying to help us sort out what it means to follow Jesus Christ in this period of our history. So nod your head if you understood most of what I just said. Okay, then, we can proceed. So, um, you know, they say that seven is the perfect number. So I have seven things to share with you this morning. Um, I had eight, and then I said, no, it's got to be seven, so... I combined a couple of them. (laughs) And all of them begin with the phrase, as followers of Jesus, a part of his kingdom. So the first one, as followers of Jesus, speaking into um, the the situation we find ourselves in in our our nation, our culture, our, our world today. We are sojourners in our world, but we are citizens of God's kingdom. We already saw that in the Our Father we just prayed, but I want you to look at a few other passages that you're going to see up on the screen. Uh, Look, for example, at John 18, 36. I think we have that one, Doretha. This is where Jesus is standing before Pilate. Jesus answered when Pilate was trying to trap him into, uh, who are you aligned with, Rome? Israel, 
He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have fought. I wouldn't have taken the sword out of Peter's hand so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. How about Colossians chapter 1, verses 12, 13, and 14? This is when Paul was writing to the church in a city that no longer exists, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. That would be you and I who believe to be partakers of the inheritance of the believers in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Are you catching this? This is not my idea. This is in the text. How about Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, uh, Paul writing to the church at Philippi. This is all over Paul's writings, all the apostolic writings, actually. For our, that would be yours and mine, Citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will one day transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. And then finally, Peter says it this way so boldly in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, where he writes to the scattered church in Asia Minor, Let us turn away from evil and do good. Let us seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the right. You know what? That's, I I think I gave you the wrong reference, Doritha, so forgive me. So y'all just hang on. That's a really good verse, by the way. Take it in for a minute while I read you. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This happened more than once, and I'm so sorry, Doritha. Um, It was 1 Peter chapter... 2, verses 11 and 12, here it is. Beloved, I beg you, here's the words, as sojourners and pilgrims. Together, these words mean resident aliens. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Have your conduct honorable amongst the, the people that don't believe, that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they'll try, that they might buy your good works which they observe Glorify God on the day of visitation. We're called, we're not only called citizens of another kingdom, we're called resident aliens. We're called pilgrims and sojourners. I often think of those Airstream trailers that used to be popular back in the 50s and the 60s where people would live in those things and just drive around the country. They had no home. The home was that moving vehicle as it sojourned across the United States. This does not mean we're to be disengaged from the world, but we are also not to be locked up emotionally and spiritually by the world and by the world system. We are called to bring the values of God's kingdom, thy kingdom come, love, justice, mercy, righteousness, truth into this world. And by the way, don't miss this, never primarily through the government of this world. Never primarily. We are called as citizens of the kingdom of God to partner with him to bring the values of the kingdom across the veil into this world, but never primarily through elected or however the government gets their government of this world. But through the church, through the body of Christ, through the way we live, through the way we touch through the way we wash feet, for the way we're willing to die for folks, for the way we're willing to cross 
uh, neighbor lines with ideologies that seem to be divided, but there's a love that, that connects, that's bigger than, stronger than any of that dividing stuff. Check this passage out. I think I got this one right, Doretha, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Listen to what Paul said. And by the way, Paul wrote these words under Nero, one of the great despots of the ancient world. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications and prayers and intercession and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, yes, Nero, all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. In other words, the main purpose, according to Paul, um, oh, yeah, don't forget, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. According to Paul, the main purpose of God-appointed government is to create space in which we can live lives that bring kingdom values to bear so that people can see Christ and believe in him. That leads me to a second uh, principle, if you will. As followers of Jesus, we're sojourners in the world, but citizens of God's kingdom. So... As followers of Jesus, if we feel security or fear at the outcome of this election, we're called to remind ourselves of our true citizenship in God's kingdom. If you feel a whole lot of security because from your perspective, the right person was elected or the right persons, Congress and whatnot, um, I'm not saying you shouldn't, if, if this is what you felt, that you shouldn't have your own feelings of being happy or joyful. I get that. We're human beings, for heaven's sake. But if you feel a whole lot of security, I'm wondering which kingdom you're grabbing onto for your hope. Because, because no matter, I mean, my experience has been, and this is when I had my big awakening, was 1974 when my guy, Richard Nixon, I found out that he lied. And I was like, wait a minute. Something, some kind of something isn't being delivered here. Something, I get, I'm, and I began to let go at the age of 20. I just said, there's something that I wish government could bring me, but it can't bring it to me. So there's another kingdom that I hope can. Interestingly enough, in Mark chapter 1, when Mark is writing the story of Jesus the king, he starts out with the words, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Messiah. He was taking a phrase right out of culture. They would talk about the Caesars, the beginning of the good news of Octavian Caesar. He's bringing the Pax Romana. Look at what he has done. And you know what Mark was saying is, fine, I guess the guy did the best he could, but I got another king who, who will really deliver the goods. That guy will never deliver the goods, but I have another king, he'll deliver the goods. So I'm just saying, if you've gotten a whole lot of security, I'm not saying you shouldn't be happy, have your feelings. But if you've gotten too much security, I would just encourage you to check it out. Which kingdom are you latching on to? On the other hand, for those of us who have um, uh, gotten very afraid, look, I honor your feelings just like I honor the other folks' feelings on that, that, in that other perspective. Feelings are feelings. We're, we're not called to judge feelings. We're called to honor them and say, That's what you feel. I'm your brother. I'm your sister. I'm with you there. So if you feel afraid, I honor that feeling. But I want you to remember that Jesus, under another despot, a lunatic, uh, Caesar, Emperor Tiberius, said, look, the father, your father of this other kingdom, he has the birds and he has the flowers. Are you of not more value to him than they? 
That father knows you have need of all these things, whatever it is that you're worried about. So seek first his kingdom of that father and all the things you need will be added unto you. I I understand that you might be afraid. I'm just saying if you have too much fear, you might ask yourself, which kingdom am I really latching on to? So the second principle is if we feel security or fear too much, we might want to... At the outcome of this election, we might be called to remind ourselves that our true citizenship is in God's kingdom. Number three, as followers of Jesus, we are called. Now, this, you might not like this. I don't know if you're going to like this. I guess I can't worry about whether you like it or not. I do want to just say, look, I'm, sometimes people, I think they think my personality is the kind that I just really like offending people. You know what? I think there might have been a day when there was a part of me just as a rebellious human being, man, ex-football playing male, that I did kind of like to get, I like to see people kind of go like, and I'd be like, come on then, come on. I think there was a little piece of me that was like that. But because I've become one of those crusty old folks that Joe's talking about, I don't, I don't have as much juice as I used to have. <laughs> so can you know today, I am not trying to offend you. I'm also not trying to placate any of you who would not be offended. I'm just trying to tell the truth as I understand it. And this is the third truth that I get, uh, I think, from our God. As followers of Jesus, we are called to submit our nationalism to a greater allegiance to God's kingdom. Nationalism is um, God's kingdom and the United States of America intertwined, interlocked, equal. No. That is a, an anti... Uh, oh, God, tell me to say this right. It, it, that is not a value of the kingdom of God. I want you to remember that Jesus of Nazareth... He got crucified for many reasons, but one of the main reasons was Jewish nationalism. Do not forget that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Zealots did not care for each other. Those those were four of the big divisions of Judaism in that day. They did not like each other. They hated each other. They fought against each other for power under Rome. But what they unified around was this Jesus has to go because he embraced everyone even those who were not Jewish. So they put him on the cross because he wasn't nationalistic enough. So I love my country. And if you, if uh, I've been living enough emotionally on the ragged edge, you know, traveling so much whenever I've been weepy this morning for many different reasons, but I'm kind of on the edge. So do, Do not come to me telling me that I don't love my country. Do not approach me telling me that I don't love my country. Or I might be unchristian for a hot second. I love my... I've traveled all over the world. I've seen what it's like in other countries. I wouldn't trade America with all of its flaws. I'm thankful for the freedom and the prosperity that we enjoy. But like all nations, we are flawed. We have the best in my view, flawed system on the planet. Thus, 
And even to Joe's statement about making America great again, I like the way he couched that. But this is what I want to say. It is not about making America great again. It's about longing for and partnering with our king to bring in God's kingdom. I'm not longing for a great America. I'm longing for the kingdom of God. Because America can't deliver. I pray that it creates space for us to share the good news of the kingdom. I pray for that. I, I vote to that end. But, 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 but I'm not looking to make America great again. I don't have that much energy, man. I'm looking to throw down for the kingdom of our God. So I, I don't think I asked... Doretha, before I go on to the next point, I don't think I asked Doretha to um, write down this passage, but I want you just to listen to this. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. By the way, those are the six points of the Star of David. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked, those who ultimately and finally rebel. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. A nursing child shall play by the cobra's hold and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth then shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles will seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. That's the kingdom of God. That's what I'm fighting for. My allegiance to America takes second place underneath my allegiance to the kingdom. I'm calling you to the same. Number four. As followers of Jesus, we are called to honor our government officials, but reverence only our God. I think I got this one right, Doretha. 1 Peter 2, verse 17. Um, Did you have that typed out? There it is. I love this. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. We'll come back to those two in just a hot second. Fear God. Honor the king. Reverence God. Bow before God. Um... Give obeisance to God. Worship God. All of those things are are wrapped up in that uh, phrase, fear God. Honor the king. Be respectful toward your leaders, but bow before your God. This is what Jesus was talking about in that very famous verse in, or section of Matthew 22 when the religious leaders were trying to trap him. They were trying to get him to defy Caesar. To defy Caesar was to buy your death. 
And so, you know, should we pay taxes? I mean, we're good Jews. You know how Israel is. We shouldn't be dominated. What should a good, righteous, Torah-believing Jew do? Jesus of Nazareth, uh, prophet of God, rabbi. He said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Pay your tax. He picked up a fish. This would be a reason to go fishing, by the way. If you could get money out of the mouth of fish, I'd be a fisherman. Anyway, he pulled those coins out, had Caesar's face, and he said, give these to Caesar. But you give to God what is only his. You worship him. You bow before him. Pay taxes to Caesar. That's his, but you don't give him what we are only to give God. So I will pray for my government officials and so ought you as followers of Jesus. We should follow his example and his chief apostle's example. I will respect them with God's help. But if they ask me to be about something that is not in line with my true king and his kingdom, I will respectfully disobey and protest and not be about it. God help me no matter what the cost. When Dr. King decided to go to jail in Birmingham, it wasn't because he was trying to be rebellious. He was trying to honor his government, but he reverenced only his God. And he said, it's time. It's time to say no to the government because they're asking me to be about something that my God is against. I'm only saying that's exactly what we're called to today. Honor the king, my brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus Christ. Fear only our Abba. Number um, something, five. (laughs) As followers of Jesus, we are called to hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. This is when the king sat ex cathedra which means from the chair. When the king sat down, when Jesus sat down, he was saying, I'm the king of a new kingdom. Here's the ethic of my kingdom. And you know in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he says, blessed are those who hunger. He says a lot of things, but blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I'm going to honor uh, my leaders, whoever would have been elected, Green Party, Libertarian, um, Secretary Clinton or Mr. Trump, I am called to honor my leaders, but I will not apologize for calling out unrighteousness. Misogyny, misogynistic statements are wrong. I'm, of course, sensitive to those statements because I have lived with four amazing women for most of my life, and I have great respect for them, and I will not tolerate them being disrespected if there's any way that I can stand in the gap for them. I need to call that out. But I would call that out for any daughters of God because you're created in the image of God. I am not to ever stand for you being disrespected. Statements about marginalizing human beings, not only gender, but... um, Ethnicity, color, creed, or sexual orientation is not to be tolerated by citizens of the kingdom of God. When they are marginalized as if they are less than others, 
It is wrong. Bigotry is wrong. Stereotyping God's children is wrong. Lying is wrong. Marginalizing the poor is wrong. Wasting God's resources, be they natural or financial, through government or corporations or whatever, is wrong. As followers of Jesus and those who live into and partner with God to bring his kingdom, we are not to tolerate any kind of injustice, even in our leaders. We are called to stand in the gap for those experiencing that injustice We are called to be salt and light. Remember what Jesus said? If the meat is rotting, it's because there hasn't been enough salt. Who's the salt? Not the Republican Party and not the Democratic Party. We are the salt. If the community is rotting, if injustice is prevailing, it's because we have not stood up for what is right in terms of the kingdom of God. We're not to tolerate that kind of injustice even in our leaders. We're called, again, to stand in the gap, to be salt and light, but... We are also not, we are called not to hate those who do these things or say these things. Because they are you and they are me. They have the same wounded, empty, to varying degrees, um, sinful hearts that the rest of us have. Um, We are not better than them. If you have garnered an attitude in this process that basically allows you to point with vitriolic acid. I'm not talking about speaking out against injustice and words of injustice, but I'm talking about against the human being behind those words. It might be good if you found yourself kneeling before that cross, where if you will look, you will find a space earmarked for that person with blood dripping down from the hands of the Savior for that person that you are pointing a finger at, not at what they've said, call it out. Not at what they're doing, stand in the gap against it at the risk of your own life. But if you start to marginalize that son or daughter of God, then you're acting outside the realm of the kingdom and you are positioning yourself in a superior position above them. And that is not the truth. We are to speak out against injustice and then pray for those who are perpetrating that injustice. We're to stand in the gap at our own risk against that injustice and pray for those even as they perpetrate that injustice possibly against us in behalf of those we're standing in the gap for. But we absolutely cannot allow, bottom line, ourselves to call evil good. Check out this verse from Isaiah the prophet. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. One of the things that's been disconcerting to me about this process, this is about the most political thing I'll say during this time, is the way those of us who are kingdom citizens have rationalized our support of this person or that person. Because, well, um, it's really not so bad because of whatever. 
Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Just say what it is and don't give caveats and then look to your heart and to your king about what you need to do about that particular unjust statement or action. But let's not start as kingdom citizens candying around with, well, it's not quite so bad. Let's, let's not put a sugar coat on it because of some supposed greater good. That is not kingdom of God stuff. Number six, as followers of Jesus, we are called to a lifetime battle for the lives of human beings, our main weapon being the all-powerful love of our God. Look, y'all, when are we going to get over it that bad stuff happens? Or you might think good stuff happened, but maybe it's not as good as you think it was. In other words, if you think because something good happened in the election, the battle's not waging as, as hard, or if you're surprised that in your view something bad happened, and so why, are the, why is the battle waging? When are we going to realize the battle is going on and will not stop until the king returns? So just in case you don't know these verses, Ephesians 6.12 says, did I have you write that one down, Doretha? Okay, that's all right. For we, who knows the verse? For we fight not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities and powers in heavenly places. How about uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9? Satan is a roaring lion prowling around, present tense, constantly. He never stops. He never sleeps. He never stops hating. He never stops salivating over your flesh and mine and the flesh of other human beings, seeking whom he may devour. Um, it's time to stop being in denial about the battle. And I want us to remember that we're not battling for political ideology. We're battling for the lives of human beings. It's time to let go, in my view, once and for all, of obsession with this world's political ideologies. Have your views, but fight for God's kingdom. And remember that God's kingdom will not most often be legislated by Congress. And don't forget that our main weapon is the love of God which covers a multitude of sins. Can you put 1 Peter 2.17 back up there, Doretha? Peter says it so clearly. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. In other places, he tells us to love the non-believer, but I think he's capturing it here. He's saying there's supposed to be an intensity of love, listen, that starts right here, that carries out into honoring everyone with that love that starts right here. It, it's the body of Christ. He's talking about um, the brotherhood and the sisterhood. Um, he's talking about uh, the sons and daughters of God. It's to start in the community and then move out from there. So look. If you find yourself vilifying I've already alluded to this, and I know some of this might seem repetitive, but I know how we are as human beings. First four times, it can go boing, and maybe time five, it goes, whoa. If you find yourself vilifying, and do you think I've ever found myself vilifying another human being? You bet your sweet life I have. Are you kidding me? 
And I'm almost afraid to say this because I don't want you calling me out if you ever hear me do it again in a bad moment. But you need to call me out. If you find yourself vilifying any son or daughter of God. And by the way, you say, do you mean believer or non-believer? We're all sons and daughters of God. Whether we get it yet that we are or not, I don't know. Christ died for all. Uh, When we believe, that's the moment that we understand, I'm one of his sons, I'm one of his daughters. So if you find yourself vilifying a son or daughter of God, which means anyone, for any reason, you are at that point um, not living into the value system of the kingdom of our God who calls himself the father of all of us. Well, there's so much that I need to say here, but it might be better said at another time. I want to remind you that what everyone in the world, including Mr. Trump and including uh, Mrs. Clinton, are looking for is the love of God in Christ. Last weekend, I preached, for those of you who um, know this young man, his name is Jamie Rasmussen. He's now, he used to be uh, one of my staff members at my last church for nine years, and he's now 52 years old. Little Jamie done growed up. When he first came to us, he was like 25, and it's like he's, he's like grown. He's got a beard, and it's gray and everything. And he's just, he's a good man. He's a good man. He's in that mega church, and mega churches have a tough time, I think, for the most part, because they're so big, you know, really loving personally. But there was a spirit of love in that community. But as you know, what do you think I preached about? The love of God. And uh, I did that blessing prayer that some of you have seen me do where I try to enact the love of God by blessing someone. And they had the cameras on me, 7,000 people. And afterward, we did a book signing. And I'm telling you, grown men, I'm talking 75-year-old men with just snow-white hair like Gandalf when he came down off the mountain, you know, toward (laughs) tears running down their face 45 minutes after the talk was over. Why? Because they are so looking. I mean, you could tell. this This is Scottsdale, Arizona. I mean, you don't live there if you don't have some means. And, and these folks were just so hungry. I'm talking people that would come around the book table and just embrace me. I'm nobody, but they just want the love of God. Do you think really that folk out there right now are going to be going, I don't care if I get any love because my candidate won. Are you kidding me? And what the government, and I, I'm praying our government does amazing stuff, but what I'm saying is what people are looking for is what only we have to give them. Love one another as I have loved you. And the whole world will know that you're with me. And in John 17, he said, the whole world will know, if you let that love keep it together, that I, Jesus said, come from God. This is what I want to say to you. These are two little practical things before I give you number seven. In the spirit of that love, which is our main weapon, I'm calling you in the name of Jesus Christ to stop labeling one another. And I, look, have I done it? Yes. Is it wrong? Yes. 100% of the time. The minute I label you, I cannot love you. The minute I say you are defined by a group All of a sudden, I'm not looking at you. I'm not saying, who are you? The individual, your individual hopes and fears and dreams. And so I want us to stop using terms. And I I mean, 
I've kind of crossed over here. I try to be gracious. I try to be kind. But if I am around you and you are using these terms to describe another human being, I will likely gently rebuke you. I mean, the, the time for us to kind of be soft about this is over with what we see, even in the aftermath of the election. If we thought it's been bad the last couple of years in terms of hate crimes and whatnot, you know some things have stepped up. What's going to stop that? We need to pass another law. No, the body of Christ needs to be unleashed with the power of the love of God. That's the only thing that can stop the division and the hatred. We've got to start here. Stop, my brothers and sisters. Stop. Remember that Bob Newhart clip when he... Was it Bob Newhart where he's got, got some folk he's counseling and he's trying to go, mm, yes, I hear. And it's like the 29th counseling session and they're just rehearsing the same stuff. And finally, he just goes, I've got something I want to share with you that I think will really help. They go, okay, uh, Dr. Newhart, what would that be? He goes, stop it. <laughs> Whatever you're doing. <laughs> it's not a very good counseling technique. Um, And rarely do you hear me use this kind of language. You know why? Because I know if we could have just stopped something most of the time that was kind of bad, we would have just stopped it. I don't believe in get or done theology, you know. I believe in the healing power of Christ that produces righteousness. But would you cut me some slack here where I'm saying at some point, we've got to stop labeling one another. The words liberal and conservative and left-wing and right-wing and even the words black and white and, and male and female and, 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 and gross pointers and Detroiters. I'm not saying those terms don't have some meaning, but when I look at you and I classify you at that point, I cannot love you. We've got to stop the labeling with the LGBTQ community. In the name of Jesus Christ, I admonish you, stop it. Love. Get to know the human. And then if God allows, talk about whatever you want down the road in the relationship. But first, we have to catch ourselves and say, if you'll help me, Father, if you'll heal me from the stuff that oozes out of me in my worst moments, I want you to help me stop labeling folks so that I can start loving them. And then secondly, as kind of like along the lines of that, I'm encouraging you as a part of that love to start feeling with one another. And remember, that's a biblical command, First Peter chapter 3 to maintain unity, he said the first command, you've heard me preach this before, is sum pathes. The word, the preposition or the prefix sum means with. The word pathes means to feel. He says, number one, in bonding with another human being is feel with them. In other words, when somebody comes up to you this week and says, with their hat and their poster, in the name of Christ, Ask the Holy Spirit to help you not to label them. You don't know what's going on inside of them. All you know is what you see. Now, if they do something unjust, if anybody does something unjust, then you can step in the gap. But if it's just, they're like just spewing their whatever, then you ask God to help you feel what's really going on and love them the way Christ would. If somebody comes up to you and you think they're, giving you some kind of what you used to call liberal agenda or whatever that really even means, 
I'm encouraging you in the name of Christ, submit your label to the cross and ask God to show you what's going on with this human being. Feel them, feel their heart, feel their journey. Ask them questions about themselves. Be uh, lovingly curious about their lives instead of categorizing them which immediately marginalizes them, which means you can't love. And at that moment, our enemy has won. And by the way, you know how this is lived out. This isn't lived out in mass. This is lived out one relationship at a time. In my files, I got to stop. But in my files, I might have shared this illustration with you at one point. There's a young sister of color over at the U of M 20 years ago. I showed you this, I think, Joe. Um, she was walking by a Klan rally. And the crowd, kind of, she just kind of was looking to see what was going on. And all of a sudden, one of the, those who was marching with the Klan got thrown down. And folks started kicking this human being spitting and kicking and hitting. And this sister of color threw herself as a follower of Christ. She threw herself on top of his body, even though the ideology of the group that he was marching with would have marginalized her, if not hated her. That's what I'm talking about, my brothers and sisters. This is what Jesus did. This is what he showed us how to do. And this is what we're called to do, even at great sacrifice for the kingdom of God, if we want to see folk come to him and if we want to see our nation continue to be a place where we can share that good news. Finally and lastly, You're going to feel very complete when I share this because it's number seven. (laughs) You've been feeling really uncomfortable. Number seven's coming now, and you feel, oh, yeah, perfect number. As followers of Jesus, we are called. Have we forgotten this? Really, have we forgotten this? To die. Could you put these verses up, Doretha, please? This is from Jesus himself. And he said to those who are believers, do I have them? We don't have them? I thought we had them at the end. Well, then guess what? You're going to hear me read them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, he wasn't calling us to hate. He was saying, if the way you relate to folk in comparison to the way you relate with me, is not so drastic that it could even feel like hate. He's saying, if I'm not supreme as you relate to people, in fact, if you don't even look at your own life, your own breath, your own hopes and fears and dreams, and say, I want to be about Jesus Christ and his kingdom even more than that, even more than preserving that life, then you cannot be my disciple. You can be a believer because believing, it's free. You just believe. You can be a part of the kingdom, but you will never be a participant in terms of the battle in the kingdom if you don't at some point say, my own life 
is yours. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake everything that he has cannot be my disciple. My brothers and sisters, it's time for us, whatever you come from, whatever your background, it's time to re-up. It's not about us. It's about our king who showed us that his kingdom was brought by him giving his life away every day of his journey on the planet and then ultimately on the cross. And then guess what? God said, this is the upside down nature of my kingdom. You die, life comes up. Three days later, he rose. So it will be for our journeys. But first we have to be willing to lay it down. Emotionally, relationally, and maybe, I don't know, I'm not a prophet of doom. Maybe we're entering an era, brother pastor, where we might be called to lay our life down physically for the sake of the kingdom, not for the sake of politics, but for the sake of our loving, sacrificial king. I'm going to close by showing you a text that I sent to a sister in Christ this week who is so worried about the body of Christ and it's, it, the shape it's in. She was ready to give up hope that we could be anything that lives into the dilemma we find ourselves in. Do you have that, Doretha, somewhere? Let me start to read it. Yeah, there it is. I encourage you to remember, dear sister, the true church has never been and is not the institution that calls itself the church. It is rather the broken and flawed individuals, that's all of us, who are trying to follow Jesus Christ in the midst of a war begun by our enemy to literally destroy human beings. The institutional church in Europe in World War II struggled, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Corey Ten Boom and thousands of others followed the real Jesus at great cost and to ultimate uh, victory. All of us are faking, facing a choice. This is what I leave you with, my brothers and sisters. Follow the real Jesus or not. Be the true church as a force for God's kingdom or not. Love all in Christ's name, even to death or not. I love you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, choose.